You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. And this morning, if you're joining with us, we're continuing our sermon series that's called Leading Without a Map. And what we've been talking about is how over the last couple of months, we have been living without a map, right? (laughs) We don't know the way forward. And and, and in my mind, anybody who says we know the way forward (laughs) is lying, right? So we've been talking about, well, how do we live in a time where we don't know what happens next? And we're taking that a little bit deeper because what we're talking about is how do we lead without a map? And the way that I've approached this is this way, that maybe you don't see yourself as a leader. I'm going to talk to you for just a moment and say, you are responsible for people in some way, shape, or form. You may not have the title of manager or something like that, but you are responsible for others. And if you're not sure, ask God to show you who you're responsible for, because all of us are are responsible for for others. And it may not be in a managerial type role. It may be that we're responsible for someone else's uh, life or safety in some other way. But I also want to think about those who, who you know that you're in charge of people. And that's a stressful thing to you, because the second thing I know is we're all making this up as we go, right? I'm making this up, you're making this up, we're all trying to figure this out together. It's it's clear that none of us has a way forward, but we're trying, and that's important. So over the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a couple of things. Uh, the first one is, is, and you can find these on our podcast, uh, on YouTube or Facebook in the archive, uh, we're talking about just, just doing the next right thing and the difference that that makes. We talked last week about how we slay the giants, uh, metaphorically, uh, who are before us. That just the big, crazy things that worry us or scare us and how we can, with God's help, find a way to adapt. Uh, this week we're talking about how leaders take a knee. And next week we'll talk about how it's, it's good to fail and it's okay to fail and it's okay to get things wrong um, and how we can do that with enthusiasm. So I'm excited about that one too. We'll, we'll talk about that next week. Uh, But this week, I want to talk about a particular word that shows up often in the Bible, and it's the word kairos, kairos with a K. Uh, And and that word kairos means a right, a critical, an opportune time. It's it's different than uh, chronos time, another word in the Bible uh, and in the culture of the day. Chronos time is simply the way we look at a clock and how a clock continues to go. There's a, a pattern and repetition for that kind of time. But, but Kairos time is, an op, is, is a moment in time, a place where everything could change. And when I think of that kind of time, uh, what I think about is, is Hamilton. Have you seen Hamilton? If you've got Disney+, Plus, it's on there for free, and if you haven't watched uh, that show yet, or maybe you've seen that in person and you got a chance to see it when it was live. Um, I was so inspired by that because Alexander Hamilton, uh, who's played by Lynn manuel Miranda, uh, talks about this point. And, and he says and he sings over and over again, I am not throwing away my shot. I am not throwing away my shot. And he's talking about Kairos time, that there, there, there is a pivotal moment where the decisions that are made in that moment can impact the future for years and generations down the road. And that's what Hamilton is about. It's about how Hamilton doesn't throw away his shot and uses every moment to impact the world as he sees it before him. 
And in a sense, he saw his life in those moments and those opportunities. And what he did in those moments affected the reality then and still continues to shape how our country runs and operates today. Uh, but there's another character in Hamilton, too, uh, with just as many great parts to it. And if he wasn't kind of the protagonist of the story, we would love him so much even more. Uh, but Leslie Odom Jr. plays Aaron Burr. Uh, and if you remember from history or if you've seen it, you know that Aaron Burr basically plays the opposite side uh, to Alexander Hamilton. Uh, and in his song, one of his songs, Nonstop, uh, he offers these lines. And he's speaking to Alexander, Alexander Hamilton. He says, why do you write like you're running out of time? Write day and night like you're running out of time. Every day you fight like you're running out of time. And so there's this, this clear sense as, as the story unfolds that Alexander Hamilton feels like a man who is running out of time and is grasping at every moment to make the most of it. And that's inspiring to us. It's inspiring to me because I want to feel like I'm living my life in that way too. Like, like I'm living and writing and fighting like I'm running out of time, right? And so the story in Scripture that we're going to look at today deals with these kind of kairos moments. A kairos moment for Alexander Hamilton where the decisions in that moment would shape the time beyond that. And the decisions that Jesus would make in our story for today would shape the moments after that and challenge us as disciples of Jesus to understand how the moments in our life, even in the midst of a quarantine, can shape the next steps. So the setting uh, for our scripture today before we hear it uh, is the Last Supper. Now this is after the three years that, that Jesus ministered, and it's about maybe between age 30 and 33 for Jesus and so he's really come to a kairos moment, and he's gathered at a table in the upper room with his disciples, his friends, his followers, and they're sharing one last meal together. And like us, I don't think they had a map of what come, came next. Like, I mean, the disciples had no idea what was coming next. And, and we could argue, did Jesus fully understand what would happen next? I mean, he knew that his decisions and actions had put him at odds with the authorities and that was coming to death. But there's these unfolding realities of what comes next. And so uh, to set the table, so to speak, I want you to hear the scripture that will be read for us by the Aga family. Uh, it's Jesus with his disciples around the table. Uh, so let's take a listen together. Hi, I'm Jenny. And this is Olive. And Daddy. And we're the Aga family. Before the festival of Passover, Jesus knew that his time had come to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them fully. Jesus and his disciples were sharing the evening meal. The devil had already provoked Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come to, from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the table and took off his robes. Picking up a linen towel, he tied it with around his waist. Then he poured water into a wash basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Drying them with the towel he was wearing when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but you will understand later. No, Peter said, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, 
Unless I wash you, you won't have a place with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus responded, Those who have bathed need only to have their feet washed because they are completely clean. You disciples are clean, but not every one of you. He knew who would betray him. That's why he said, Not every one of you is clean. After he washed the disciples' feet, he put on his robes and returned to his place at the table. He said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you speak correctly because I am. If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you too must wash each other's feet. I have given you an example. Just as I have done, you also must do. I assure you, servants aren't greater than their master, nor are those who are sent greater than the one who sent them. Since you know these things, you will be happy if you do them. Thank you guys for reading the scripture. Uh, we appreciate that so much. And as you heard as it was read, if obviously at that meal, Judas was present. And, and Judas is the one who turns Jesus over to the authorities. Uh, and there's lots of reasons probably behind that. We don't know for sure. But what we know is that there was a sense of, of Judas didn't see where Jesus was taking the disciples. And if Aaron Burr is, is Judas, right, to Jesus and Alexander Hamilton right there, right, Aaron Burr might be asking the question, Jesus, why do you dine? Why do you dine like you're running out of time? And that's what's happening in this meal is Jesus is dining with these disciples like he's running out of time. But he sees the moment and he seizes the moment in order to teach his disciples about what comes next. And to give them a blueprint and a roadmap for how to lead when they don't know what to do. And how to lead when they don't know what comes next. And, and basically the blueprint that he gives them is that he picks himself up from the table and begins to wash their feet. And now if you're thinking, that sounds gross. Yeah, like we've got shoes on, like I've got shoes on, right? You're at home, so you're probably not wearing shoes. I can't see you, don't worry. Uh, but think about this. Like, the roads when they walked around on back then were all dirt, right? And when it rained, it became mud. And basically, for all intents and purposes, they just wore Birkenstocks without socks. Um, and, and so you've got these individuals who are walking around all day in the dirt, in the mud, in the grime, where, you know, kind of just, you know, trash is kind of thrown out in the street, and that's kind of the sanitation system and they're wearing these Birkenstocks, and their feet are just gross. So if you were hosting a meal, and we know that, that they borrowed this room from someone else in the city, uh, the host of that meal would have provided a, a wash basin. And they probably would have provided a servant who had been there, so as you approached the door, you would have sat down and they would have washed your feet. It, it was as customary to us as when you enter someone else's house and you wash your hands right? And so that was the understood custom. But for some reason, on that particular night, they didn't wash their feet. Maybe the host didn't have time to provide a servant because the meal was arranged kind of on the fly. Maybe the disciples were, were so caught up in the moment in the kairos that they just forgot the basic custom to wash their hands. As, as we sometimes forget to wash our hands, maybe they forgot to wash their feet. But whatever the case was, was that these disciples had come to the table without their feet being washed. 
So Jesus backtracks. And as kind of the main person in this meal and the person you would not expect to wash your feet goes over to the basin, wraps a towel around his waist, and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And while they couldn't understand that at that moment, what we have seen through the generation since is that Jesus is telling them what to do next. There's two things happening here. One, Jesus is giving them an example of the love of God for us. The love of God which, which kneels down and takes a knee before us and washes our feet and washes us clean. And that calls us to go and do likewise. So that may not seem like the best leadership advice, and I don't know if there's many books that are written from that perspective, because quite honestly, that doesn't gel, right? That doesn't fit with my understanding of leadership, and it probably doesn't with yours. Because whether we like it or not, we value leaders who who take authority, who who stand up, and, and who kind of say, well, you do this and you do that. And we're used to these models of leadership that are probably very authoritarian and very direct and very to the point. And sometimes that's good and helpful, and sometimes it's resentful, right? But we're used to that. And so you can understand why it was confusing to the disciples when Jesus comes near them and begins to wash their feet and eventually tells them, now, now go and do likewise. Because that's not the type of leadership that we see. And it's uncomfortable. It, it makes Peter uncomfortable. Peter says, well, look, Lord, <laughs> you can't wash my feet. Let's, let's turn this around. Please sit here. I'll kneel down. I'll wash your feet. That's how this should have been done. I'm sorry we got it wrong in the first place. And Jesus says, no, I need to do this for you. We object to that kind of leadership because it doesn't feel right and it doesn't seem right and so peter's like well look <laughs> if if you need to wash my feet you got to wash all of me jesus because like this whole thing is dirty right this whole thing is sinful and broken and, and i need you to to just cleanse all of me so i think that we can understand the objections that the disciples face but jesus takes the role of a foot washer and he offers us an unorthodox way of leading and by Jesus assuming the, assuming the role of the servant, what he's doing is very countercultural then like now because he's doing someone else's job, right? He's, he's taking on the role that wasn't his. He should be up here, and he's lowered himself to basically the lowest rung job in that room, but given it dignity. He's washed their, their dirty and their dusty Birkenstocks, and he has played the role that the host should have provided. And we just say that's not what leadership ought to look like, right? But what we see in Jesus is that a leader is someone who takes a knee, someone who humbles themselves before others, someone who can admit, perhaps, that they don't have all the answers, and that they can't say exactly everything that comes next. To the people that a leader is responsible for, it can be hard to say, I'm not sure what to do next. It can be hard to humble ourselves and to maybe metaphorically and literally kind of get down on our knees and just say, I'm not sure what to do, but I want to be here to serve. In fact, what I want to do this morning is take us over to uh, the book of Philippians. And I'll put it up here on the screen. 
uh, because there's this, this great piece in Philippians, and it's in chapter 2, and it's actually uh, part of a song that they would have originally sang, uh, maybe a hymn. And it goes like this. It starts off that it says that though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and becoming like human beings. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so everything about this part in, in, in Philippians 2, verse 6 through 8, and you can read on, it goes a little bit further, lifts up the example of what Jesus did. Though he was God in the flesh, he didn't consider that something to exploit. And oftentimes as leaders, for better or for worse, we find ourselves in a position of responsibility or authority over someone else. And as I mentioned, this can be maybe in a workplace or in a home life, uh, maybe adults to children. But Jesus never saw that as something to exploit. A, a way to puff himself up and say, like, you know who I am, right? Like, I'm God in the flesh, and you, mere human, must kneel to me. We don't see that in Jesus. Instead, what we see is, is someone who emptied themselves and became obedient to God, even to the point of death. It, what we see is that Jesus saw his life as a kairos moment, as a point in time where the actions that he took would make a difference. And so what I'm suggesting to us is that if we don't know the next steps to take, we can fall back onto the model of Jesus, who instead sees it not as an opportunity to exploit themselves or something else over someone else, but a chance to humble ourselves and to take on the role of a servant to those that we are responsible for. And that's not easy, is it? It's not easy to live in this way. I didn't put it up there on the screen, but this verse begins with this idea. And Paul tells us in Philippians to adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. I need to adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. I've got a lot of room to grow in serving those that I'm with. I've got a lot of room to grow in not exploiting the, the opportunities and the privileges that I have, but instead using the gifts that God has given me and you in service of others. Finding a way to take a knee as opposed to standing up over or standing on the back of someone else to get what I want. I think this pandemic is resetting a lot of things, and a lot of that is hard. But in some ways, there's been kind of a pruning back. And I think we're coming back as followers of Jesus to some of the core pieces of our faith. And I hope shedding some of the pieces that have been hurtful and problematic over the centuries. So Jesus gives us this example of foot washing. And he tells us that we ought to be willing to do the dirty work. That we ought to take care of one another. And that we ought to live in a way that is self-giving. That loves serving others and, and finds ways to flip the hierarchy upside down. That disregards the social order, the, the work order, the pecking order, the ladder that we have climbed. And that may not make sense to a lot of people, but I tell you who will understand it are those who are used to kind of working with you. They'll see something is different. 
And that's what happened when Jesus came into the world is that the way that Jesus lived showed that this is truly God. And the hope was is that in serving, the name of Jesus is lifted up. And so as we take this servant role, the name of Jesus becomes lifted up. And so that's what I'm asking you to consider this week is how can you be a servant leader? A servant leader. One who looks for opportunities when we're not sure what to do next to lift up and to value those who are with us. And to recognize that this isn't just something that Jesus did. It wasn't just his, his outward actions of, of, I'm serving so that you will come to believe in God, where it becomes kind of transactional. This is who God is. This is who God was, is, and will always be. And so this is who we are as followers of Jesus. Individuals who kneel when it might make more sense to try and stand up and take authority. We are those who find ways to kneel and to wash the feet of others. Now throughout the centuries, we've realized as followers of Jesus that maybe sometimes that means washing the feet of others. There's uh, ministries here in the Florida United Methodist Church where uh, churches will gather together uh, perhaps the homeless in a city, and they'll hold not just kind of a foot washing, but they'll bring together um, kind of doctors who specialize in feet. I think it's a podiatrist. I'm sorry that I don't know that. And they'll offer kind of literal foot care to those who don't otherwise have it. And it's a, it's a, it's a humbling to serve those whom God loves. But what other ways might you find to kneel and to serve those whom you have responsibility over? So in the model of the one who surrendered his life for us, we will also surrender our comfort and our preferences and even our privilege and our plans in order to care for those whom we are responsible for. Because God has entrusted them to us, not to, for us to lord it over them, but for us to be a blessing to all those that we come in contact with. And with God's help, all that is possible, even for me, even for you. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.